from the gospel according to Luke. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. May be seated. The story of the birth of Jesus begins with the most powerful man in the world, Caesar Augustus. We are obviously here this evening to celebrate and contemplate the Incarnation, the incredible claim of the church that God became a singular human being to demonstrate once for all his love for all human beings, the birth of Jesus, the confession of a miracle. Think of the number of sermons down through time that have been preached on this story. The amount of preserved commentary we have on this event over almost 20 centuries of church history is massive. And all of the best of it circles back to the same reality. The Incarnation is a profound and unique mystery. But this also has always been stressed about the birth of Jesus. The theological significance of the story, the spiritual interpretation of the birth of Christ is wrapped up in literal history. This person, Jesus, was really born. He really lived in a particular, in a particular place and time. And no one with any sense, any education about these matters, debates that. It's settled. He lived. And this historical context for Luke in his gospel is very important. The story begins not in Bethlehem, but many, many miles away in a very different place, the city of Rome. The story begins with the most powerful man in the world. Born with the name Gaius Octavius in the year 63 B.C., the man who would become the Emperor Augustus was legally adopted by his uncle when he was a mere teenager. That uncle was Julius Caesar. And very shortly after that, Julius Caesar was assassinated, and his young nephew, by then only 19, launched a long and bloody campaign to consolidate power in himself, and he succeeded. He was honored as Rome's first emperor and given the name Augustus. And then for 40 more years after that, he would rule an expanding geographic empire such as the world had never seen, dying at last in the year 14 A.D. Caesar Augustus is easily one of the most influential figures in all of world history, a man of remarkable drive and intelligence, of competence and organizational skill, of unsurpassed ambition and incredible achievement. He could be alternately gracious and ruthless, forgiving and merciless, modest at times and vain at times, morally upstanding and decadent, 
Augustus is, in my opinion, the human person represented in all of his complexity on steroids. He solidified the dominance of the Roman Empire, and that lasted for, think of this, 500 years, half of a millennium. Without Augustus Caesar, there would be no Western civilization as we know it. And Luke chooses to begin the story of the birth of Jesus by setting it against all of that, against the world of Augustus Caesar. The immediate reference to the Roman emperor in the beginning of the birth narrative is to remind us that the people of God are under foreign rule, an authority that is alien to the authority of God. Well, aren't we all? Whether it be the authority claimed by principalities and powers in the world, the powers of darkness, or the unruly powers of our personal drives and desires. The coming of Jesus into the world is always a coming into a world where there are myriad powers contesting for control over us. In the time of Augustus, social and political submission to Rome's authority is harshly enforced throughout the empire. And so Luke mentions a mandated census that is attached to taxes, mandated upon Judea and Syria, and this happens around the time when Jesus was born. It must be really important for him because he mentions it four times in the first five verses of the birth story. It's about this time in my homily that you're thinking to yourself, he's talking an awful lot about Augustus Caesar. Aren't we supposed to be talking about the baby Jesus tonight? Yes. And I think what Luke wants us to get in this most beautiful and beloved story from the Bible is that we don't really get it. We don't really get it without the juxtaposition of the imperial city of Rome to the nondescript rural village of Bethlehem in some place called Judea. The juxtaposition of Caesar Augustus to a helpless baby. The juxtaposition of the seat of power on a royal throne to the seat of power lying in a manger, an animal feeding trough. These juxtapositions could not be greater. The collision of images starker. Caesar's reign is signaled by advancing army legions, a people's submission to imperial power, the imposition of taxes. God's reign is signaled by a singing host of angels, a joyful bewilderment among some blue-collar shepherds and a poor Jewish couple's vulnerable little newborn baby. All of this, of course, underscores what is so central about the incarnation, the lowly, condescending nature of God's coming into the world like this in the first place. What kind of a God is this? And this, too, the swaddling clothes in which our newborn Savior is wrapped tonight prefigure the burial clothes in which he will be wrapped 
after his crucifixion. For, of course, the greatest juxtaposition in the Bible, indeed, in all of history, is between a Roman cross and our Lord's sacrifice for the whole world. In other words, God's power could look no more different from Caesar's. And I think this intentional juxtaposition between Caesar and Jesus that Luke intends for us is not simply about the how of God's plan of salvation. I believe it is also about the where. Not simply where it happens in history, not simply where it happens geographically, but where it happens in life. Just yesterday morning, your clergy gathered for Bible study and prayer as we do on every single weekday morning. And we prayed especially for you, for you this evening, this Christmas. Our prayer is an acknowledgement that some of us, some of us may not know Jesus. Some of us may not think we know Jesus. Some of us may not be sure that we believe all the things Christians are supposed to believe about Jesus. And so we prayed for him to enter our lives, perhaps for the first time, perhaps again, perhaps more deeply. That is my prayer for myself. Because there is not a single one of us here tonight, not a one, who doesn't have spaces in our lives where God might come in to be birthed anew, to bring light into darkness, life into lifelessness, healing into some brokenness, hope into some discouragement, joy into some despair. Every one of us needs Jesus to come. We all yearn for the inbreaking of God's kingdom that this birth inaugurates, to be sure for the whole world that is so badly broken, but also for ourselves. I think that's why you're here. The writer and the poet Wendell Berry suggests that at the heart of the religious impulse, at the heart of the religious impulse is a certain solicitude for reality. What a great phrase, a solicitude for reality. What Barry means is that the deeply religious person is attentive to all the false dimensions of life that reduce reality. The fear of having life shrunk down by things that don't ultimately matter and don't really give life. Many of us, he writes thankfully, are still refusing to trust Caesar and the many of his modern incarnations with the power to define reality. Yes, Caesar is alive and well in our day and age. There are many people and leaders and ideologies and causes and temptations and pressures at work in the world wearing his royal cloak. In fact, all of us are tempted to project those parts of our life that look like power and prestige, success and advancement, acceptance and standing, security and control, the very things that represent the image of Augustus. But tonight, 
we bend the knee and we bow our heads before the full majesty of a reality that could be no more different, that no one in the imperial courts of Rome at the time could ever have imagined. A tiny light shining in the darkness from afar. Those out of the way, perhaps hidden places in your life of powerlessness, resembling places like Bethlehem in the first century. Those vulnerable places in our lives like the manger where Jesus is seeking to be born again. Would you let him? Well, I have a love of ancient history and this week I went back to a couple of biographies that I read on Augustus in my home library. I was flipping through the pages and one cannot help noticing a grand irony indeed. This history of his life is bracketed according to B.C. and A.D. His entire life we recognize in reference to the birth of Christ, an event about which Augustus, with all his power, everything he had, knew absolutely nothing about. What power usurped his? We worship tonight remembering not only how it happened, but where it happened and where it might be happening still. <laughs> 